1 Kings, uh, let us take notice of what real events were taking place. Uh, It's almost like a newspaper article that tells us the details. But in this particular case, it is a... One of the early, early things that happened when Solomon was the king. This is God's word. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I have lived in the same house and I gave birth to a child when she was in in the house. Verse 18. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were also alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house, and this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. She lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and lay him at her breast and laid her dead son at mine. Verse 21, when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. And the other woman now chimes in because the first lady had been talking. Now the other speaks. No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first lady comes back and says, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. You can hear their tension. You can hear the quarreling. Thus they spoke before the king. Verse 23. Then King Solomon, young King Solomon, speaks. This is what he says. The one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, but my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one woman and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive and said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all of Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And if you have your Bibles, you might take notice what's printed in the bulletin is also uh, verse 20 of chapter 4. Verse 20 of chapter 4. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and... We're happy. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as we look at this message today, I pray that you might lift us out of the despair that so many of us have felt, so many in this world are under, and I pray that you might give us something to be happy about. Lord, we already know that it's been given. I pray that you might reveal it afresh to us, that we might treasure it, that we might value it, just like the witness of that student in the CCO video. Lord, I thank you that we have a purpose to live and to fulfill, and I pray that we'll be able to do it with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today has to do with the misery cycle. The misery cycle, and I'm not talking about a unicycle or a bicycle or one of those kind of cycles with wheels. Uh, A cycle is something that kind of is cyclic. It goes around and it comes around. Uh, It comes and it goes. 
Now, the misery cycle is trying to understand from, from our standpoint of uh, when misery comes upon us and then what do we do with it? And uh, do we pass it on? I'll be talking about that in the message today as we go a little forward. It's an interesting passage when you think about it because it's tough. If you were any of the main characters, if you were the first lady, Lady A, if you were the second lady, Lady B, or if you were even Solomon, the young guy who was in leadership position and he was responsible and people were watching. Wow. These tough times. We don't have to look very far to be able to find illustrations where things are tough. If you turn on the news this week, you would no doubt see some pictures from France. And, uh, and, they, and even though they were doing some pictures of the French Riviera, they were not in commercials that were trying to entice you to come. If you are familiar with the, with the events, the current events, you'll know that there was a lot of misery. There was an individual who chose to get on the misery cycle. And his, whatever was going on in his mind, ended up turning out to be a devastation to hundreds of people. And their relatives. Driving a truck with explosives. For what purpose? To engender fear. To slaughter. To make more misery. If you turn the channel and you were looking at some of the folks. uh, Some of the homelands of some of the people that just came to our soup lunch. Our our, our international dinner uh, on Monday. A lot of those folks come from Turkey. And if they're looking at the news and they're looking at what's going on back home, I'm not sure if any of them want to get on an airplane and go back. As there's a coup taking place and thousands of people from the military are now in jail and there's this going on and that. And it has something to do with the Muslim faith and a secular practice. How it's all going to gel together. Who's going to, who's going to usurp and take charge? If you looked at the other thing on the TV that surprised me or in the paper is what's going on this week in Cleveland, uh, in Ohio. There's some other things going on besides CCO events. Uh, Apparently, there's going to be a few politicians gather in Cleveland. But the thing that amazed me was not the convention. We've had lots of those every four years. What surprised me was the images that I saw, that in the middle of the streets in Cleveland, there are these huge steel fences being erected. And there are barriers being put all around. It almost looks like a war zone. And it's hard to imagine that that's taking place in America. People are living in fear. There is the misery index rising. You know, the term misery has lots of different capacities and lots of different ideas. Uh, I would say that misery is no respecter of persons. Uh, In fact, uh, you don't have to look far to find the people that almost everybody here. Well, let's be honest. Everybody here has experienced misery. Uh, Misery also loves what? We all know that saying. I don't know how many of us practice it, but it seems to be true. Uh, It is considered humane to help people out of their misery. Isn't that weird? When you think about it, that usually has a connotation of, of trying to end somebody's life. There is a misery index, and I was looking and trying to understand that a little better. And that's what the government puts out to be able to say, well, if you're in this country, you have a misery index if your economy is doing poor. And so they basically say if the inflation is really bad and there's joblessness, then you combine those factors and it turns into an index. And right now, Venezuela is the worst. It's like four times worse than anybody else. 
Not a great place to be. But it's not really about that. It's about where you are right now. What's going on in your world? As we look at our text today, we're looking back in time, as I said, about a, 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 a millennium before Christ came to deliver from some of the misery issues. And I want us to be able to understand misery in a different context, almost from the helicopter view. Because when you see it like this, I believe like facets of a diamond, you will be able to say, wow, God's grace is sufficient. It is amazing. There are five points that I'll be bringing out. The ministry of misery... And that's an interesting thing because it says, what is ministry? What is misery? Secondly, I want to look at the multiplication of misery. How it just doesn't add, it seems to multiply. And uh, how it spreads. Third is the mystery of misery. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we're veiled from it. It's like a a hidden from us. And fourthly, uh, to see the majesty of misery. I know you're thinking I'm a nut by that time. To say there's actually majesty. There's actually awesomeness in misery. I'll get to that point. And fifthly, I want to be able to show the momentariness of misery, that it's only for a while. And that I would like us to dwell on and leave this place with. Uh, The first point is, what is misery? I want to be able to explain the ministry of misery. Now, when you think about misery, uh, it is experienced Uh, It is experienced unhappiness. Sometimes it's considered poverty. But most of us will will link it together with the word suffering. Job lived a miserable life, didn't he? At least for a portion of it. It has those perpetual qualities that are linked to us where we want to say, when we want to put somebody out of misery, we tend to say we're wanting to remove the suspense and the anxiety. We're trying to give them something that they've been desperately waiting for and anticipating Or we simply want to end their suffering and pain. You see, the ministry of misery is that it goes out and it touches a lot of lives. It touches every life. The scope of this misery is when we understand it intellectually. Where does misery come from? Misery is an interesting commodity because if you try to define it, just like if you define light, we often say light is the absence of Excuse me, darkness is the absence of light. Misery is the absence of communion with God. Just think that for a moment. How can I say that? It's because I can tell you when God made everything in the space of six days and finished up with Adam and Eve, we read it in Genesis, we know that he said everything was very good and Adam and Eve were there and there was no misery. There was no shame. There was no confusion. They had communion with God. Now, something happened where misery, which didn't exist before, now begins to exist. And you can help me out if you know Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. You're going to know that there was some major thing happened. We call it the fall. All mankind fell with Adam and Eve, sinned with them in that first transgression. And God's wrath and curse came upon mankind. And we came under his we, we moved from being the, from the estate of communion into the estate of, as the catechism calls it, to the estate of sin and misery. Wow. Did you ever think about that? The reason that we're going through the pains and the struggles and the frustrations is because we are now living in the estate of sin and misery. Our, we have a sinful one-two that never stops. We keep wanting to do what's right in our own eyes. We keep doing what seems good for us. That's the way we're wired. We have 
as, as Calvin would say, our hearts are idle factories. They keep making new ones. If we put down one, we end up picking up a new one. And they, these idols always take our eyes off of God. And, st- and we break the first commandment, leading right to the second commandment. The first commandment, thou shalt have nothing before me. The second is don't give yourself over to these things that, that are in the world. And that's where we are. And as we yield to these idols, as our hearts make these idols, we live in the estate of misery. Let me explain to you what the Westminster Divines put together and said, this is, uh, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought, this is question 17 of the Shorter Catechism. The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery, wherein consists the estate of misery. And the Bible said, or it, it's summed up by this, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God and are under his wrath and curse. And so they're made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. When you look through the Bible, that's miserable. And that all is a result of Adam and Eve's breaking the communion with God. And we sinned with him and fell with him in that first transgression. It is very, very sad. We had it all. We had communion with God. And then we lost it all and entered into this estate where we're under God's wrath and curse. All the miseries of this life and then to even taste of death was miserable. And then the pains of hell if there's no grace for salvation. Wow, when you look through this stuff, I want you to be able to understand that the ministry of misery is serious stuff, and we all are under it. It ministers to us, and it tells us that we are in a fallen condition. Now, in a text that we had in 1 Kings chapter 3, I just want you to see through the eyes of misery what these girls were enduring. They had the ministry of a job called prostitution. We're introduced that in chapter 3, verse 1, or at the beginning there in verse uh, 16. I don't know about, I don't know from personal experience, but if you're involved in the ministry of prostitution, I don't imagine you're happy. I think this is a miserable situation from the glimpses that you see from TV shows and stuff with the terms like pimps and all that other stuff. Whatever goes on in that world is not going to be a pretty thing. The misery of sharing a home. Some of you wish that you didn't have to live with some of the other people. I know when I'm, my sons are working out their college situations and where they're going to stay and who they're going to stay with. Well, there was these two gals and they were living together because they couldn't make it on their own. The misery of home births. No hospitals. They didn't have any anesthesia. No big needles to numb those parts. And they're having these babies at home. The misery of being alone. Nobody else was there. There's no dad in the picture at all. And there's no crisis pregnancy center helping them along either. There was the misery then after all those circumstances to have a death. Wow. A little baby. The one young family here was just talking about a SIDS baby three weeks ago. And the tears that were shed for that. Can you imagine the misery of this lady waking up to see her son not breathing? The misery that it was an accidental death. That she actually had a part in it. Her own little child that she rolled over on. The misery then that comes next is just devastating. How there is a scheming. And she's like, oh no, what am I going to do? And she came up with a plan. Then the misery of implementing that plan. How devastating that this roommate that you have, you go and take the little dead baby you have and you go switch it with the other one. 
in the wee hours of the night when no one's looking. The misery then of the morning where the other gal wakes up to find a dead baby at her side. And then the misery of finding that the dead baby wasn't even hers, which might have had some joy in it. But the misery that it was switched and she's figuring out the scheming of her friend or so-called friend. The misery of realizing what might have happened. The misery then of the lying that takes place in the volume that is going between these two ladies. If they did that in front of Solomon, what do you think they did in the house? The misery of having to defend your own motherhood. That's my baby. The misery of having to go before a judge for a final judgment. The misery of the coldness of the king. They're, beyond, they're in front of this young guy who doesn't, we don't know if he knows anything. They're in front of young Solomon and the misery of hearing that cold-hearted man say, give me a sword and let me cut it in half. And the misery of hearing the mother have to say, that's my baby. But, but let, let that lying girl have her because I don't want my baby to die. I don't know if there are any other miseries that you want to add to this that get worse. Maybe some of you can relate. Maybe some of you would be able to list worse things than this. But I want you to know that the miseries of this life are miserable. And they serve to do some interesting things to us. They show us that we're in a fallen condition. The second point is the multiplication of misery. When you listen to what was going on, I use the term multiplication instead of addition because, and that uses factors if you're into math. You have the first factor is that we live in a fallen world. Problems are everywhere. Jesus said every day will have sufficient problems of its own. But the multiplication takes place is when you have that first factor multiplied by the second factor. What do you think the second factor is? People. So you have these troubles by living in a fallen world multiplied by the people. And if you have lots of people, I guess you could have even bigger multipliers. But in this particular, scare, in this particular story in 1 Kings, you find that you have the devastation in the first place. Like I said, that they're in this house, but they're together. In a sense, you could say they're not alone and they can help each other out. But the miseries are multiplied when that one tragedy of the, of the baby dying, the first baby dying... And after that point, it's almost like exponentially getting worse. Instead of just working through a difficulty, now you have complication upon complication upon complication, and it gets to be so bad that you almost don't want to, want to read the next verse. This is what they say, hurting people hurt people. They lean on their own understanding and they scheme and they do what's right in their own eyes and they think that in order for me to stop hurting, I need to do something. And so you find that Lady B says that my baby has died and she was being honest and she says, I'm going to fix it. And she goes to Lady A and steals her baby. How sad it is that it didn't heal anything. Because if you look at Lady B, the one who stole the baby, even at the end when the knife is about, or the sword's about to come down, do you remember what she said? Divide that baby so that neither of us can have joy. I want to encourage you today to get off of the misery cycle if you're on it. You may be the one that's received somebody else's plethora of misery. Or you may be the one that's been dishing it out. 
By way of illustration, I, I remember 88.7, the bridge, talked about random acts of kindness. You know, like if you're going through the toll booth up Route 1 and you pay for the person behind you, what do you expect happens when that person behind you comes through? They smile. There's a, there's a thought that says, hey, this life is not so miserable after all. And so you have this random act of kindness and you're supposed to pass it on. There's a couple of cute commercials where people hold the door and then they do this and then they help somebody across the street and they do this kind. All those wonderful, wonderful things that Christians ought to be known for without even having to think about it because we care for one another. But if you were to reverse that and get onto the misery cycle, let's put it like this. If you're going to go through the toll booth and you're coming behind somebody, instead of them paying for you, they're not going to pay for you. They're, they're, uh, they have smoke coming out of their car, and so it's blinding you. And then on top of that, instead of them paying for you, they throw uh, nails out their window so that your tire starts to pop. And as you're coming to slow down into the toll booth, your car now is veering out of control because you have flat tires and you crash into one of those pylon things. And your car now is damaged. The misery compounds misery, compounds misery. And then that person that just went through the toll booth looks back in their rearview mirror and smiles. That's the foolishness of this. Is that when we get caught up into misery, instead of being able to see how it ministered to us, we end up multiplying it and we validate that the wrath and curse is upon the people of this world. It's a tough place to be. And the people in France and the people in Turkey and the people in America and even the people in this room know what I'm talking about. But the message doesn't end there. If you look, you're going to find that this, there's a mystery to misery. A mystery. There's some things that we don't understand. It's not only negative, but God has superordained it to be positive for us. Our sovereign God has not just unleashed his fury. Because if he had unleashed his fury, guess how many of you would be here right now? None. If, if there was no mercy and there was no grace, then we would have already received justice. And the soul that sins would already have received what is due in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is separation from God. From, it's death. And we'd already have been separated from his grace. But thanks be to God, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he will love those whom he will love. And this misery that comes into our world is actually for Good. There is good purpose. If you talk to Job, yes, he had a miserable life, but do we think Job is, is cursing God and dying? No, even though he have great misery, he says, even though God would even bring it to the point of slay me, I will not curse him. Not even if my wife tells me to. If you think about it, what is the mystery of misery? The mystery is revealed to believers. When you go through miseries, what ends up happening to you? You can turn into the ugly person who repeats it and promotes it, or you may find yourself on your knees crying out to God. That's a beautiful thing. When things don't go right, when there's pain and hurting, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a wonderful place to go when you know you, you can't fix it. You can't. In a sense, the bus has left the station and you're left there. Oh, God, help. The miseries will bring us to our knees, and that's a beautiful mystery. That God's strength is made perfect in our strength, right? No, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, in our frailty. He comes alongside of us. You know the footprints in the sand when there's only one set of footprints. It's when he abandoned you, right? It's when he picked you up. 
because you couldn't go on. You see, when you understand that God brings us to that place, it's a beautiful thing about misery. Secondly, believers are delivered from the enjoyment of sin through misery. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, all of you that have lived a few years know what I'm talking about. And that is when sin entices you, it really looks good. Let me use a simple one that everyone can relate to. You know, it's kind of like having a uh, going to a smorgasbord for dinner and you go for the first round. It tastes really good. And then you go for the second round and it tastes okay. And you go for the third round. And what happens? You start to get miserable. What happens is that you've eaten too much. You've overdone it. Now, there are some sins of pleasure that we don't think are so bad. Maybe for guys, especially going to the beach. They may not always go to see the surf and the turf. I've often said that the first look is beautiful. The second look is sin. You see, whenever we take things and we absorb them and we and we instead of giving God the glory, we start to start to focus on them. And the thing about misery is that if you get into pornography or if you get into alcoholism or if you get into uh, into email battles or if you get into anything, what happens is starts nice and it doesn't seem to be so bad. Oh, it's just a little sin. It's just a little white lie. It's just innocuous. Oh, it's just a picture that I saw on the front of a magazine. And the next thing you know, you're clicking on something else or you're going and buying something else. And before long, this doesn't satisfy, so you have to go to this level. And that doesn't satisfy, so you go to the next level. And that doesn't satisfy. And by the time, every time these steps go on, what happens to your countenance? What happens to your wallet? What happens to your life? It's being flushed. The sins that burden you down. You see, misery is God's gift to you so that you can't enjoy sin. Because if you do click on something, if you do take something, you need to know that when the Holy Spirit convicts you, he is, not, he is telling you, stop, this is not for you. You're a child of God. Run away. Be like Joseph and leave Potiphar's wife, even if it means you go to, to prison. Leave the sin behind. Because the miseries of sin are a terrible place to be. Isn't that a fascinating mystery about misery? That it actually is God's means so that you don't love your sin more than you love God. And believers are purified through it. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to God. We understand that the wages of sin is death as we begin to taste a little of that death. As we see things falling apart in front of us. The mystery is that God uses our frailty, our weakness, our shortcomings, our inadequacies as a catalyst to show us that we need more of his holiness, goodness, justice, and truth. I told you there's five points. And the fourth one is the one that amazed me the most. is the majesty of misery. And if you're following along, I think you'll get it real quick. Look over there. What is the picture of the cross? It is to them that are perishing foolishness. It's a stumbling block to the Greeks and to the, to the smart people who think they've got all the wisdom. But unto us who are being saved, we look at the cross and we see the power of God to salvation. So when we see the cross, what do we see? We see misery. We see our Lord hoisted up. He who knew no sin becoming sin, undergoing the wrath. I don't know if you've ever caught it, but in, Psalm, uh, in Isaiah 53, 
Joan Fetterman made my kids memorize that passage. You know, who has believed our report? When we tell you about this guy that's going to come, he will grow up as a root out of a dry ground. In other words, Jesus is going to come in a dry place. There's no form or comeliness that we should behold him. He's not going to be cute. He's not going to be cuddly. He's just going to be a plain dude. He'll be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we would hide our faces from him because when we look at him up on the cross and the misery, we couldn't stand it. We can't even watch Mel Gibson's movie. The passion. The misery that our Lord went through. We think it was all on the cross. But that's not where his greatest misery was. It was in Gethsemane. As I stood there in January and pondered, nobody would pray with him. And the sweat drops of blood, his intensity as he began to become sin, to bear in his body, which was pure and sinless, our sin. And then to be betrayed, to be despised, to be treated like a thug, to be beaten this close to death with the cat of nine tails, to be falsely accused, to have the crowd that recently shouted Hosanna turn on him and say, crucify that guy. And to be hoisted up between thieves after doing the Via Della Rosa. I don't know about you. He was wounded for our transgression. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And when he was there, the majesty of misery, he became our sin. And the wrath of God, the infinite wrath of God was poured out on him. A song, the lyrics go. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or his loss. On one side marks the forces of evil, and on the other, all the demons of hell. And there hangs God's Son in the balance. The earth shook with the force of the conflict, and the sun refused to shine, as there was the Son of God dying the miserable death that we deserved. The full wrath of God was poured out. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I told you that that was amazing. That when you see the cross, he was there for you and for me. Your sins were being hung there. The wrath of God was poured out for your little sins, for your big ones, for my little sins and my big ones. The fifth point is the momentariness of misery. If you go to a couple of the passages in, in First Corinthians chapter or in Second Corinthians, you're going to find Paul tells us some hope. He says that there's no trial or misery that's going through. That's 1 Corinthians 10, but such as is common to man. He says, God will see you through those. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But in 2 Corinthians, as he writes a second letter, and he's trying to do follow-up on that church that had lots of misery in it. Lots of problems in that church. He ends up telling them that our, our light affliction works for us an eternal weight of glory. Our momentary suffering is actually going to bring things to pass for our good. And so it's really fascinating that when you can see that the misery cycle is going to stop, it's going to come to an end. It's 
not going to stop on this world, but it's going to stop when that last trump sounds and the dead in Christ will be raised and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. It's going to end when our corruptible body and our corruptible nature is going to put on incorruption. When we, like 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, we will be changed. The, the cycle of life is going like this, and it's, it's been this way all the way, but in jo- the book of Joshua, it tells us that there's the five steps of the cycle of life. We have a period of silence leading to a period of sin. Then it moves to a period of servitude, and then it moves to a period of supplication, and then we have the salvation from God giving us a period of silence. To put it with peace so that you can understand it, we live in a period of peace where things seem to be going pretty good until we get into the zone of pleasure, where we start leaning on our own understanding and doing the sin. When we have pleasure, guess what happens next? God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. The punishment comes. After pleasure comes punishment. And then usually, because we suffer misery in the punishment stage, what do we tend to do? What's the P word that happens when we're miserable? We pray. We get to prayer. Supplications. And what does God do? Does he leave us in that state of sin and misery? No. The power of God is displayed in our life and he forgives us our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness and he restores us to that place of peace. And I want to encourage you that you may be in that midst like I have been in that midst of struggle and frustration and your, the misery index has been big in your world. Let me quick encourage you. Skip the pleasure. Skip the, the, uh, the punishments phase and go right to the prayer phase. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, confessing their sins, they'll be healing. And you'll move right back up to heal, have the power of God bring peace back into your world. Now, that peace is always temporary until the Prince of Peace comes to take us home to glory. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The misery cycle is not something that you have to get to join in on. When bad things happen to you, step back. And by God's grace, say, Lord, what can I do to love? What can I do to lift up? What can I do to encourage? Rather than, what can I do to make them get what they deserve? You see, that's why when you read Romans 12, the scripture tells us to let us each esteem another better than ourselves. Leave revengeance and revenge to God. But because of what Christ has done for us, let us love one another, even the most unlovely ones. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come to the end of this message, I do pray that you might make us marvel at the ministry of misery in our lives. Lord, I know if we were God, we would erase it all. We would make sure that there was no more suffering. Lord, we think of that gal that, that was miserable in, in Solomon's day. Well, they were both miserable. But the Bible says that the one girl went home with her daughter. I don't think she had the same roommate anymore. I think that she was able to rejoice with the people from Judah and Israel who were happy again. Because what broke the misery cycle for them was when truth was spoken in love. And when God interjected himself into the world, and at the end of chapter 3, it summarizes it so well. It's not just that there was leadership, but there was a sense in which God was involved in the people of God's lives. And the people had peace when they knew that Solomon spoke the word of God.
Oh, Lord, I pray that that would be true in our lives too. That you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. That you would make the people of coastal Sussex happy again. Not because of what's going on in Washington or what's going on around the world. but Because of what's going on inside of us. The peace that passes earthly understanding can keep our hearts and minds in Christ. Because the condemnation for our sin has been laid on Christ. Who willingly bore our misery so that we might have communion restored. In Jesus' name I give thanks. Amen. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Leaning on the everlasting arms Leaning, leaning Safe and secure from all alarms Leaning, leaning Leaning on the everlasting arms What have I to dread? What to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. I thought you might have felt that uh, it was going to be miserable, that God might smack us upside the face or something, but I want you to know that if God's hand of protection is upon you, what have you to fear? What have you to dread? Because when you go through some of the miseries of this life, like some of you, um, I continue to pray for Ruth Fowler. She was in the hospital just recently. Could barely breathe, had a big infection and all that. Praise God, she's home and getting home health care. But it creates opportunities to minister. In visiting with her late at night, I had an opportunity to witness to one of the nursing staff there. And you just wonder, if the miseries didn't take place, we wouldn't find ourselves in certain situations where we'd be able to be lights to this world. So when you find yourself where you don't want to be, just ask God, why am I here? And let your light so shine that they may see that there's a purpose to that misery. 
but it's only temporary. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace that has brought us safe thus far, may that grace also take us all the way home. And while we're in this journey, Lord, we thank you that we are a work in progress, that you have begun a good work, and that that good work is going to get done, but you're going to shape and, and uh, mold us, just like the potter being, uh, being shaped, the potter shaping the clay. Lord, I pray that you will, through misery, bring us to that more beautiful place, bring us to our knees, bring us to, our, to the point of prayer, that we may be brought back to that place of peace. As we go forth from this place, I pray that you'll lift up our countenance and I pray that we will have the joy of the Lord. May it be our strength and may we join even with the missionary outreach on campuses. May we be in missionary outreach to coastal Sussex, to all we come in contact with, so that Jesus might be lifted up and the grace of his wonderful salvation might be made known to all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.